Hey, wonderful to see you. Yeah, do you? Yeah, the technology, wonderful. Yes, yeah, we, sh we should do this more often anyway. I mean, yeah, I know, it's crazy. How are you getting on? Are you, you, you seem to be managing to keep uh, alive and well and communicating with people. Are you? I'm, I'm doing my okay? best. Surviving okay, yeah. 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 I found it. I found it very tough. I found it very hard. Um, I've, I found I get less and less interested in kind of um, maintaining relationships. You know, it's. it's mm -hmm. I know it's important, but it's kind of the the effort just seems so much. Um, you know, and I, I've I found you know even within my family, you know, I haven't been calling them and things like that. You know, it's just mm -hmm. sort of letting things drift apart. I don't know whether that's a symptom of lockdown or what it is, but it's, um, you know, it's quite quite noticeable, really. You kind of the, the isolation tends to increase, you know, not not decrease. You know, I keep quite yeah. busy, but I somehow don't don't get that done. I am I understand. I mean, it's um, I think it's a very very complex situation where we really are not not really we really don't understand the extent. Yeah of what what is happening or what happened right so it's uh yeah it is it's, um... yeah and and just just you know like the psychological effects of it um you know like human beings are are made you know are social animals so uh, and yeah. i i don't know i don't know how how um let's say how careful you were like or how how I, I think you know I've said this before to some in in some of these <laughs> conversations that I think you know you that one really needs to kind of like balance a reason and and fear and and the risk you know it's it's something where each each one of us has to find his or her own way of of doing that you know so that one can stay healthy mentally healthy I mean also. Yeah. Right? Well, it's very difficult. I mean, I was certainly I was very nervous because you know, um, my, because of my age. Um, so I was very nervous at the beginning. When Jamie has been quite nervous about it all as well. So we've been, you know, we've been very careful mm -hmm. um, all the way through. Have you um, been seeing your kids? You know, I mean, we hadn't seen. We my birthday the other day. We got together with the with our, our daughter and son, James and Lisa. And it was the first time we've been together with them since Christmas 2019. You know, that was that was you know just a a month ago, less than a month ago. So that you know that there really was a kind of schism. I mean, we kind of we met with them outside, and then Lisa had, had stayed in Germany. Actually, she came back. She stayed for a while with us. So we did do some. Uh, we did live together at one point with her. But um, mm -hmm. you know, we, we've all been, I think, fairly careful. You know, and and but um, you know, it's it it comes at a price. You know, isolation comes at a price. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, I've. It's kind of interesting because I, I think there are like kind of like different phases of you know that I went through, um, yeah. and and you know, like I've been like very much a guy who enjoys isolation anyway. Yeah um but like these these few uh moments where i actually made contact with the outside world right they are missing and i feel that as well you know yeah. it's 
Yeah. But you know, like I there's you know, there's interesting thing is, you know, like Uma is my daughter is now yes. one and a half years old and I uh, yeah. spent, you know, you know, all this time with her, which was amazing and is amazing. And uh, so I'm you know, I don't see why I should be complaining. You know, like the other aspect is just the reality of of my profession. Yeah. Of of you know making music in public and you know getting paid for it and and uh, yes and like you know like these um like the, the the money that I got from from the German state I actually returned it to them today because they sent me a sent me an email actually which was saying like if you know you need to kind of like see how much um, expenses you actually had and. And then, like, return all the all the rest of the money, and I, I did that. And I, you know, I, the way that I've been leading my life, I didn't have m many expenses anyway. Yes. So yes. in a way, in a way, it's been uh, kind of like a really, really awkward situation. Um, but anyway, and you, you know, like, I started doing, um, I started to teach more. You yes. know, like I, I. I for me, it was just going back to an older, older life. You know, the life before I was touring, and um, and I've I've been coping well with that. I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's. You know, my my idea is maybe maybe <laughs> let's let's just talk about something uh, something that excites us. You know, something positive and <laughs> or, so, or something interesting. And, yeah. Okay. You know, it was just, uh, you know, I was just thinking before the conversation that I have seen you w with a mask even before uh, COVID, you know, when we were in La Paz and uh, right. you had the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I kind, of, I, I kind of had such, actually, really special memories of Bolivia that it's, you know... It, Although it was hard work at the time, it's kind of um, it's just stayed in my memory as as, as a as a fantastic place. It was, and there's it's apparently some some of the people in Bolivia can't don't rate octaves as being the same thing. Some of the indigenous people I didn't know about this, but I read it in a New Scientist mm -hmm. magazine. Mm -hmm. um, about a month ago, I was quite interested in that. I think it's because they don't. I think the the music they play naturally is just all melodic, so they don't have, you know, anything harmonic where they might kind of clue into that. I guess, but they don't. They don't actually recognise that relationship. They don't recognise it as anything other than a different note. You know, it's another yeah. different note. That's that's, a, that's incredible because that was is one of the things that I have been. Uh, Preaching a little bit and also teaching to my oh, students that that this that the system of the octave or something. Yeah, that the octave, the octave. You know, at least you can you can build a system, even though you hear the octave as an octave, you can build a system that repeats at a different interval. And yes. actually, that's what what I well, from my my I believe that the whole system of music that we have in the West is based frozen. on on the fifth of the interval of the fifth, where the fifth is the repeating. It's, so it's not the octave, it's the fifth that is filled with notes. And then the octave, then the fifth repeats. 
and we get 12 tests until we return back to the beginning. And so, so that's why um, um, it's interesting to hear that there is a people that, you know, doesn't hear the octave as an octave and yeah. makes, makes yeah. total sense to me. Well, maybe, maybe they do work on that, on a, you know, on a, on a fifth transposition or something. Maybe they do move, you know, move up to a fifth and do the same thing. Could be, could I be. I mean, it's, um, yeah. Wasn't the Lydian chromatic concept? Did you ever read that book? Yeah, yeah. I think that wasn't that based. That was based on the notion that, that the natural scale was actually too identical. No, was that what was that actually based on? But it da 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 da. Well, they are two identical tetrachords anyway, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I I think I, can't remember I, th I I think in terms of of pentachords a lot. So yeah. groups of five notes, and um, that has been kind of like really uh, eye-opening to me. And you know, tell, um, tell me about that. I don't know anything about that. So, so what do you do? So, so basically, I I look at the scale to be five notes within yeah. the space of a fifth, right? So that 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 your Ionian scale, and I'm only using the term Ionian because it's something that we understand. Yeah. Would be better to have uh, my own words for that. But Ionian pentachord would be like in C would be C D E F G, right? Yeah. And then then you have uh, then you also have the Lydian pentachord, C D E F sharp G. F sharp, yeah. Yeah. Or or you have uh, the Dorian slash Aeolian. C D E flat F G, right? And then the, the Phrygian, and then you have the Locrian. Yeah. So it's only five, there's only five pentachords, five yeah. notes. And then I build everything. I build all the diatonic scales from you know by about, stacking. Why well, yeah. haven't had, what about C what about C D flat E? Yeah, what does it yeah, regarding that the mode of one of these? Pentacles. No, that, that that wouldn't that wouldn't be a mode of it. No, because like I, my no, system is. It's, it's, are you limited to tones and semitones? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. limiting it to to diatonic, to the diatonic rules. Let's say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously you can derive any other combination from you know from the diatonic, mm -hmm. uh, pentachord as I call it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's been it's been incredible because it just allows people to very quickly learn learn scales and understand the construction of scales because you basically like i said you disregard the octave and you stack two pentachords so like you have c to g which is the ionian pentachord then you have from a to e which is the aeolian pentachord yes and then you would have from f to c which is the lydian pentachord yes yeah and it's it's quite interesting because um I saw a couple of videos about Alan Holdsworth recently, and then I realized like uh, he has been he was doing something like that as well because like he was he was he was covering um, those eight frets also with his left hand and and basically was stacking these um, uh, triad structures within a pentachord like um, diatonically and uh, and I, I guess on violin that's something that could be like. Quite easy, right? What what is what's kind of like the the usual range you use within the hand? Well, across uh, one string. One string, yes. Uh, well, it's a fourth, basically. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. The fourth, so you're sort of from first to fourth finger is, you know, it's a fourth. Mm-hmm. But then if you're using the open strings, then you get a fifth because you get the open string mm-hmm. in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the span is an octave when you go from one string to the next yeah. string. Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah. with my, I mean, my hand, you know, it's struggle. I've got a small hand, and it's I struggle with uh, playing some of the, you know, some of the things that, you know, really good violinists can play because they do stretch further than that. You know, you extend up higher than that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I don't think. I think it's. I think it's probably more suited. Thinking in that way is probably more suited to. Uh, a fretted instrument than an unfretted instrument. Mm-hmm. So you know, mine's fretted up to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I can think that way up to a point, and <laughs> that it suddenly from halfway down the instrument becomes freestyle, which is a uh, which is a bit different. But it's quite an interesting. Um, it's quite an interesting um, improvisational compositional device, isn't it? Your pen, your pentacord. Pentacord. Yeah. yeah. You see, that's like I mean. So with with my teaching, like everything kind of like interlocks, right? So and it's basically this this ongoing narrative or this kind of like the storytelling, and I use the storytelling aspect in order to uh, pass on information, let's say, or let's say to teach, right? But and so so everything starts from the idea of like that where I exp- where we use the circle of fifth, but we look at the circle of fifth as as the basic material to build our scales, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you like if you start at any point in the circle of fifth and you take five notes, you get a pentatonic scale, right? and if you take another two, you get you get the um, the diatonic scale. And then what, what people realize is that then the first note of that and the last note, that's the tritone relationship. So if you take the tritone out of it, out of that, then you get the pentatonic scale. And then people start understanding, okay, if you add a tritone relationship to a pentatonic scale, you get a diatonic scale, and etc. So it's like a really a narrative that I kind of like, uh, almost like a, like a meme, I put that into the brains of the students, so they start thinking in terms of of the circle of fifth and how scales are made of that, and then how you also trans- can transpose around the circle of fifth. And then, what's the, sto- so, what's the storytelling thing before you? The, well, I, I basically start with like a, a a monk in Cologne, in you know, like where you know the the church that will become the cathedral, right? And yeah and like these monks and they they start singing tunes and then uh you know they like after after singing they always get drunk and then they realize okay you know we oh, i found this we sang this amazing song tonight and i really would like to sing it again tomorrow but i know that if i'm, if I'm going to drink i'm not going to remember it and they they start like someone decided okay let's try to find a way to write it down and okay so let's say a is the drone right and b c d and and so this is sort of like how i start the story and 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 then you know it's not about the story being true or or anything anything of that being true it's about getting people into this into this mood of of dreaming up and of asking themselves what if right and 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 then you know like, like then I, I tell the story that okay so if you listen to sounds in nature right and or and, and a string or you hit a stone 
uh, with you know you, you, you if you listen closely you hear that a lot most of the times if it's not noise you hear the fifth interval right so now that if we if we just well, consider that's, okay, that's news to me oh you're talking about the harmonic the harmonic Oh, yeah. right. okay. Like the harmonic, the harmonic, the fifth, you know, which is like the first harmonic that's not the root. Mm. Yeah. So, so, and then, then I said, okay, so what happens to him? Just imagine yourself sitting, uh, you know, at a really beautiful, huge grand piano and you start playing, you play a C, right? You play a C with the pinky of your left hand and you let it ring and you pay close attention. You hear the overtones and you pay attention and you hear the fifth. Right, so now you decide you want to you want to emphasize the fifth. Right, you hear it, you find the fifth, you find that find that note, find that key that is called C. Now you play that C, and what happens is you emphasize the fifth, and since you're playing the C now, you're also hearing the fifth of that note of the C. So you start hearing the G, and this is kind of like where then you basically create the circle of fifth. And then you realize, yeah, the okay, circle, the circle of fifth doesn't work with perfect fifths, does it? Well, it doesn't, but that's that's kind of like the point where I was trying to make. It doesn't have to oh, be. It? it doesn't. It doesn't have to. Well, no, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a truth. It's just kind of like why do we end up with a system of uh, equal temperament and stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it's just like I said. It's just sort of like a um, like a device um, to get people into this understanding that all 12 notes are potentially equal. Like there's no note that is wrong. It's just that we have different relationships and they have different sounds and, and we can use them and we can, you know, that's sort of like the idea. And so this, this, this initial it froze, story. It froze up again, but. Ah, okay. So this, this initial story is just, just so that people kind of like have an open mind and sort of like understand that they can kind of com combine any any of the 12 pitches and then simply listen. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, um, but it's, it's working. And you know, then at some point we get to uh, music anal analysis and look at Debussy and uh, You can combine any Bach notes, and... you can combine any notes anyway, can't you? I mean, you don't, you don't need a, a system. No, exactly. You, you know, you exactly. just need to be, just need to feel free. Yeah, exactly. You know? You know, exactly. Free to move. Yes. Um, but you know, like one of the main concerns that people have is to play the right note, right? And what yeah. they mean is to kind of like stick to whatever um, system there is, like play chord tones or, you know, and, and a lot of music education is built on those ideas rather on the idea to come from the other side where you have all the notes available and then you simply use them to find out what they sound like. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so what's the end game of your storytelling then? <laughs> to, to get people if, to, if to in, be, in terms of education, what's the end game? Well, just it depends on depends on what the, the student wants, really. You know, yeah. some want to learn to play an instrument, some want to learn uh, to improvise, some uh, want to learn more about composition. Yes. Um, and but you know, mostly um, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. But most most people have a very fixed idea, don't they, of um, of what they want to be like? You know, like most people probably have no doubt in their head about what they want to sound like or who they want to sound like, um, or the sort of music that they want to play. I mean, I think you have a more 
you know, you you have a, a kind of open view of what you play, do you not? I mean, you 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 know, basically, you go, you you explore, you go for it, you know, and like like everybody else, sometimes you fall over a bit and you pick yourself up, try something different, but it's but it's you know, it's continually exploring because that's the you're at the cutting edge of of what's being done. But for mm. most people, that isn't the case, is it? Is yeah. it I, most people that I meet who want to learn about music have a fairly clear idea about the sort of music they want to end up playing. Yes, and and it's it's important, and this is why, like the way that I address that is that I say, okay, what would you know if you were my student? I would say, okay, David, we need to find out what you would do. Like, so if we have like a. a, a yeah. Uh, an exercise, a compositional exercise, you'd say, okay, what would David do? Yeah. As, as simple as say, like you have like two chords and I would ask you, okay, what's the third chord? And then yeah. you can, you can start analyzing. Okay. I decided to have a D major after C uh, major and a minor, for example. Yeah. And then the question is, okay, so now David analyze what that means. Like, okay. So you went from the whatever you would kind of like find a way to describe that and then it's something it's it's that's something that david does and then you sort of take take a mental note of that so that is something that david does and you put it in your in your toolbox basically right, right. and so on the on the way of like exploration of what david does kind of create this toolbox and you can you can always access the, the things that david does which that, I find that very important because that means like you're staying you're staying with yourself you're not kind of like giving your creative impulses up for somebody else's right but but as you become aware of how you do things you sort of also create branches in your decision tree right? and yeah. because you realize like oh normally i would go a half step down here but now that i know that i would go a half step down here what what if i go up a half step and that's yeah. sort of like this what if again that i kind of like to like to implant and in, in, um, composers minds because that's that's sort of like where where the um where the inspiration and the motivation then comes from like asking the question what if i i, I like the idea of toolboxes i mean i've used i've used that myself in a um i, I like doing it as, as a way of looking at of trying to boil a piece down to its core constituents yeah. You know, sometimes I, I go the other way. There seems to be something that's finished, but actually I want to do a, a different version of it or think about it a different way. And the toolbox idea, I think, is really good because it forces you to say, well, actually, what, what are the key things here? Now, what's important about this? What, what, you know, what is the, what's the key to this? What's the core of this? What actually makes this um, you know, feel like it's expressing what it is I want to express? Um, you know, and it can be it can be a rhythm, it can be uh, note choices, it can be textures, timbres, anything at all. You know, and, and if you just find those, say, well, is this the essential one? That I like the idea of putting them in a tool chest, you know, called David's tool chest. Um, mm. You know, for, for people, I mean, so presumably you have a in a Coltrane tool chest, and you know, um, you know Miles Davis and all the rest of it, and Beethoven, and um, you know, I think that's a really, really nice idea, and I haven't heard that before. I think, I think that's, I think that's nice. I've thought about it with myself as a tool chest, but I haven't heard that talked about in that way before. I think it's a, I, I think that's a good, a good way of thinking, and also it, it doesn't universalize the knowledge into a kind of paradigm that's, you know, that that everything's got to be like. 
you know, if you, you know, what you're saying is this belongs over here, you know, or it lives here. This is part of this toolkit. So you can take from it if you want or whatever. Yeah. No, I think yeah. that's, I think that's, a, I think that's a nice idea. And, and you know, because, it, I mean, the, the problem is, sorry, the problem is trying to make a sense of such a diverse musical world, isn't it? You know, in, in from, uh, from our perspective as, as kind of creators within, um, you know, within this world, which is really in a very short time, we've, we've learned that we've listened to each other in a way that we never had before. We certainly weren't doing it a hundred years ago. And it's, some music seems forever inaccessible to me because I don't have the cultural background, you know, I didn't, but, but I can pick up elements of it. So, you know, it is, it is all a mystery, really. It's all too much, but I think the idea of looking at toolboxes and seeing what comes there is is really good. It's really yeah. useful. Mm. You know, there's there's sort of like this romanticized version also of the musician or the composer where you just have ideas, right? Like so, it's yeah. like you'd have an idea, and or I have an idea here, I have an idea there, but I don't think that 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 would even lead to to necessarily good art or a great composition yeah. because. Because the, the toolbox uh, metaphor, let's say, is much more powerful. Because, like, here is here is what I do, and obviously, it's 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 like it's it's many different things. It's not just one thing. Many different things. So, if I now write the A section of my piece of music, I don't need to have an idea that's externalized. I don't have to have a second idea to write the B section. But I can kind of like see, okay, these are the parts of what I do that I've used in, in my A section. And then you can either say, okay, let me just use a permutation of what I use in the A section to create the B section. Or you can you can decide, okay, I want to use, you know, the other tools that are in the toolbox that I have not used yet. And that will become my B section. You have like a freedom to kind of like stay within the, or, or, or to, um, Create everything from that first initial idea, and you don't have to be uh, get inspired all the time, you know. And yes. it sort of it sort of helps people with writer's block also. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think that um, I mean, I, I, what interests you most is it the is it the kind of initial ideas, or is it that working through and the seeing what you can do with something is it the development or is it the or is it the kind of joy of the moment when you suddenly get a a good idea which 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 bits do you like i i guess i like both you know yeah. <laughs> it's um you know in in a way i think it's a little bit like the joy of solving uh, solving a puzzle that i probably right. um yeah I, yeah I you know that's what i enjoy most and, uh, and I'll just show you this. So I wanted to find it while I was yeah. thinking about it. This was um, toolkit top right hand top corner here. Mm -hmm. So this is shades of starless. I was just working out how oh. how I might you know get to this wasn't the original. I did this after the event, but I was trying to think you know how would I put this across if I wanted to stick something in somebody's hand and say we're going to do shades of starless, you know what what's what are the key elements of it and i called that a toolkit then just oh, quite there interesting go. there you go yes exactly <laughs>
Yeah. And you see, like when when um, we improvise together, I think yeah. what what sort of happens is that as you improvise together, and you have like we played um, close to twenty shows together on that tour, yeah. I guess. Um, like what happens is that basically the musicians create the toolbox as you play, yes. right? And um, yeah, I you know that that is maybe the most joyful. Um, part of music making for me, if yes. if, yeah. if collectively um, a, a sound or uh, an approach, and especially if it's as free as the one that we developed, yeah. um, is that that is really like the most joyful for me. Oh, it it is absolutely. I mean, the, the I, I guess you know you said well you know we're we're, we're social animals. At the beginning, you know, and I think that the um, the level of social connection uh, that you get through music and playing music together in that free and creative way is uh, unsurpassable, really, and very mm -hmm. different from from anything else. You know, maybe maybe sports are a bit like that, working in a team, but that always has a kind of a goal beyond, whereas the within you know the music itself is the goal when you're making music with other people and um i still find it um you know my, my memories of a lot of the work we, we were doing on stage were that we really did find a um to get ourselves into a very special spiritual kind of place a place that was away from but completely inside the people that were in the room you know and it's not not just talking about musicians of course i'm talking about the audience you know who are all part of making that very special event at that time yes. um yeah. i think i think one of the things that that uh you know that i think did come up when we were doing that which i also remember from um uh crimson when we were uh, improvising was that when you when you when you're going down a road again, when you're coming to the same <laughs> a similar road, you know where do you go? Do you go with what worked last time? You know, or do you go somewhere else? And that's that's the um, that's also one of the one of the very interesting parts, you know, because you what was first of all, you know, an unconscious or a um, a kind of collective outcome, you know, that we turned left here before when we came down this road. Uh, you know, then it starts to become a conscious decision, and then is it your decision, you know, or is somebody else going to make the decision for you? And are you going to go down that way or not? And it's, uh, you know, I really like all of that because it just shows, you know, how you are in a different place. It's like traveling on a different planet that's somehow within this planet, but not there. And, and you know, and it has its own rules of steering and geography and its own its own territory i think it's uh, i think it's a fantastic experience because i because the palace is also um you know playing playing with you and you and the others the palace is kind of always open you know with tony and pat that it's kind of um it's never restricted you know and it's that's that's a fantastic place yeah. to be uh, and and even if it's restricted well, then there is freedom within yeah, the restrictions and and you know like like Shades of Starless being a good example, right? So like we set the mood and it was always C minor, 
Yes. As far as I remember, right? And that's that's sort of, <laughs> yeah, that's a given, okay? But then within, within that, I don't think I ever played the same combination of notes twice on the whole tour, you know? And and that's and and I think that's absolutely um, it's absolutely fine. But even within the completely written pieces, I I feel there's there's a certain uh, level of freedom, and even if it just comes down to timing things, right? Yes. Like where you can be a little more loose or a little bit ahead, or and um, yeah, and you know this this. As you say, the interaction with the audience, the interaction between the musicians, and and just this this organism that is kind of like, it's a little bit like dancing, right? Yes. Like, yeah, and uh, yeah, but but you know, coming back to what I, I really really enjoyed the fact that when when we played together, like the free free improvisations, there were no restrictions harmonically whatsoever. But it's yes. but even though it was always it always worked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just because we assumed that anything goes and that's why it, it all sounded good. It's a funny mixture of uh, of kind of it, but it's got to be, you've got to have confidence, haven't you, to do it. So you've mm -hmm. got to have confidence that it is going to work. You know, if if you the fear comes in that it's all over really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know, you kind of almost define everything you play you're playing is working you know it has to work so you know if, if i play a note and it's doesn't happen to be anything like the note you're playing that's you know it's got to be fine because <laughs> there's no question of it we yeah, can't admit yeah. it not being fine yeah so so it ha we have to find a way to make it work you know and yeah. I, I think one of the wonderful things about music is it's kind of you know it's time retrospective so you can play something that sounds awful at this point but if you repeat it, you know, four and a half seconds later, this suddenly takes on a new meaning, which it didn't have when you first played it. Yes. You know, you've you've given this meaning. You kind of you've you've moved backwards in time. You know, it's it's a very clever thing like that. Yeah, it's I wonderful. don't I don't know if we're learning something about the universe by playing music or not. Maybe we are. Let's let's hope so. <laughs> but you know, but you know, it is it is that it is that act or that idea of. Kind of problem solving, right? Like in a way, and I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a in a stressful way, right? It's just it's just the joy of playing with, uh, with with a puzzle, and yeah. Yeah. and as you say, like so maybe one solution is to just repeat an action that you just did, right? and um, yeah, I'm 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 so. Um, I have to say, I think I'm. I think I'm a little bit addicted to creating music like that. Yeah, well, it's, it is very addictive. But it's, um, but it's difficult to get the opportunity to do it. I think. I mean, but you've got to get the right people lined up for a start, and then you, you know, all interested in it, and you've got to get an audience is willing to put up with it as well, because they've got to share in the belief as well, haven't they? You know, if they doubt what's going on, you know, it's going to. Um, I mean, it's one of the problems. One of the problems I think that uh, Crimson had with um, with improvising was that the uh, in the audience, some of the audience needed to be convinced at the time. <laughs> so they were because the audience wasn't completely believing in what we were doing. You know that th that's that threw doubt into you know our minds. I think to some extent. I think we 
tended to make when we came to that turning in the street where we'd gone left last time, if that worked last time, we tended to keep doing that rather than turn right and see what was around that corner because yeah. you know the audience might it might be something the audience didn't like. So I think there's a you know an element of conditioning that that can happen. So the audience is really critical, I think, to stuff like that. But then this element of conditioning leads to a sound also, right? So to an identity. Yes. And and that is uh, interesting that you, you mentioned Crimson here, um, because when I first played with you, and I think I told you we were on that first Japanese uh, short tour we did in Japan, <laughs> when, when, and I, I had the idea to put a keyboard on stage because I really wanted you to have access to some yeah, no, nobody on stage. else had done that. <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of given up on the keyboard, you know, I think 20 years I, before, I think. It was so incredible. So like the first time you like touched the keyboard, you know, it was like, oh, that's the sound, you know, that that is <laughs> that is that crimson improv sound from 74. You're the only, the only person who's ever, ever asked me to play the keyboard. It's, uh, really? It's quite, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> people just say, no, get him off, get him off. It. <laughs> yeah, but, but in... But interesting because I never, I never thought about what it must have been like back then improvising live with Crimson, what the response of the audience uh, might have been, and there was quite a lot of improv in the shows, right? Yeah, there was. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, it was always, it was always carefully kind of, kind of placed between safe posts. You know, mm -hmm. tunes or you know heavy riffs or something that you know pieces with heavy things we knew would work anyway you know mm -hmm. for the for the audience um but uh yeah i i think i think over time it i think particularly the you know i mean i think it was different in europe you know german dutch french audiences were kind of uh, we're listening and more kind of focused in what was actually going on on stage. Mm -hmm. Whereas already in America, um, you know, audiences are much more engaged in their kind of their, their, their friends on stage, you mm -hmm. know, that, that, that the, these are my team. This is part of my, you know, identity. And they were kind of, they, they kind of already come up with an identity for this team. I think before we had, and um i think that was part of part of the, the kind of closing down of the possibilities for the for the band on stage which which made it more and more difficult to do you know do dangerous and interesting uh and delicate things <laughs> okay so there you go so maybe the fact that i'm i'm can be quite ignorant <laughs> <laughs> of the audience has has been a good thing because we're, oh we're yeah stickmen uh, certainly in the in the US like we we you know we just do whatever we want uh, yeah well, that's and, great <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I'll try, I'll try and adopt that adopt that attitude I think but like in 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 South America people were really really uh, into the improvs I found yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I don't know why I mean it was just. It was just a great experience all round. I mean, they just seemed to be very interested in, um, you know, just seeing what we what we were doing. You know, they wanted to know what we were doing and, and wanted to be part mm -hmm. of it. You know, I, I thought that was that was happening everywhere we went. 
One of the things that that, was, that has always been very easy for me playing playing with Stickman is the um, uh, getting into the right state of mind to play. It's kind of cut. It's just it's just full, you know, because it sound everything sounds so good all the time. You know, I can start. You know, I don't have to play. I can just walk off stage and all the rest of it. But it, you know, and the thing will just always sound good. Um, so it's partly that, but there's this, this, and the, but it's, I think it's the people as well. Make me just make me feel safe, make me feel that I can be understood. So there's always it's like walking into a kind of familiar living room in a way to walk mm -hmm. on stage with Stickman. And um, you know, I've, I've been during the lockdown, particularly, I've been kind of looking for that in, in trying and trying to think about creating pieces or improvisations now on my own. And you know, that's getting into that state is really hard work on your own you know i mean composers have always you know managed to do that but i you know i've just found um i keep getting caught up in you know you're talking about the the, the kind of process of generating material that you know to complete pieces i i kind of get caught up in that okay and mixing and finishing you know finishing off stuff that i've started but Actually, the thing that that really excites me is that moment of insight or creation, or of, of um, it's it's when you get an emotional connection with it, with an idea or or a place or a feeling, and it's and it's really strong enough to take make you want to write something about it. And I've I've really been missing that. And then a couple of times I've had it start to come back now, and it's it's really nice. It's been really good. And it was just things like. Um, like my mother who died in 2015, suddenly remembering her. And I kind of haven't properly kind of grieved for that, her dying. I probably haven't really kind of thought through that properly. And, and, and suddenly I get a feeling back about that and want to write a piece. And I found I was, I suddenly found I was writing little kind of snapshots of all my family as I was growing up, you know. I started mm -hmm. to write these little pieces and... Um, because they meant something to me suddenly. I, these are things I, I kind of had probably just put out of my mind because I didn't want to feel sad or I didn't want to have to deal with it. And then suddenly they were coming back as things I could connect with musically as well. And it's um, I can't I can't plan for these things, but I'm finding it really nice now that I've, I'm recognise recognizing that that is a key element of of creating music that's going to have a chance of meaning something to somebody else. If it doesn't mean something to me in the first place, you know, it's never going to mean anything to somebody else. So it's got to be something, the core of it has got to be something that, uh, that affects me in some way. That's something, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been wondering if what you just said is really true, <laughs> because yeah. I think that sometimes music, music has been made for completely different reasons than music, right? And, and still the music speaks to people. Yes. And, and so, so, so music is greater. Music is greater than yes. any, any human intention, I think. No, I've, I've come to that conclusion as well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I, I, I agree music. Music's more powerful than the people that make it. Yes, yes, yes definitely. Uh, yeah, no, I've, I've just, having done, just done and uh, finished now an album with an uh, album with my band, which is a puzzling mixture of of pieces. And um, 
I was trying to I've been trying to work out what, what what the meaning of it all is through it, and that in the end that was the only conclusion I came to because originally it was supposed to be about the people in the band, but right. actually it ended up being about the music because the music somehow is stronger than the constituents than the people who make it, and the mm -hmm. music yes does work more than that. I'm not sure if that I'm not sure if that um, contradicts what I was saying. You were you were saying that music that's made for a different purpose still works. Yeah. So music that's made what to, yeah. Look, give me an example. What's, what are you thinking to, of? Well, to, to make you money or to make you feel you make you feel better or um, yeah. to find a partner or like all sorts. I guess all sorts of. Uh, um, just very basic human needs can be tied to like the tools that you know that you use to get it and and music can be one of those tools yes. and and I think that when something like when people make music like that that comes from a different motivation rather than just yes. purely the musical motivation let's say that music can just speak to other human beings just like music that was made for musical reasons Yes, yes. I think you're. I think you're right. I think you kind of the kind of once you put music in motion, it works. It yeah. kind of happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it does. It does its thing. It does its job. Like I'm, um, I'm saying that you, we don't need. You need don't need a pure intention. Let's say necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, like for myself, I would say yes. Right. Like for, for me, it's important. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think that it's something that can be generalized. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I sometimes I you know I work most before I had worked mostly for music um, as starting points, you know, sounds I liked or motifs or whatever. But I found this more recent experience of actually having a a kind of emotional um, trigger. It goes back to an earlier way I used to try and create music, which was using emotional recall a kind of, as a, a kind of drama device as a way of getting into improvisation or getting quickly into a, you know, a state, um, a kind of heightened state, heightened emotional state in order to give some energy to what I was doing. And so in a way it goes back to that, but this is a more, what I'm getting to now is a more kind of, a more kind of thoughtful place. It's not a switched on energy thing. It's a, it's more a kind of thoughtful feeling place. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think that the, I think the outcomes can be different. You know, I mean, I, I I just had a just done the piece now, which was actually to do with uh, a friend who's um, having a who'd retired, and they were going to have a party, going to have a party, a get together, to a meal to celebrate it. And Jamie was going, my wife was going to go, and I just had this f feeling about retirement as being something like uh, you've been growing a flower during all the 40 years this lady had been working, and that when you retired, the flower just kind of opened. And it was just this opening of the flower that suddenly seemed a really rich image to me. And, that, and I tried to do that, and I tried to do that just on the violin, but just an improvisation. It was less than a minute long. But I did, in the end, I did about... I usually do half a dozen, half a dozen takes. I did, you know, mm -hmm. of it. But the first one was the one mm -hmm. that I use, and it was because that just encapsulated that idea 
Mm-hmm. The other ones were kind of more emotional or, you know, maybe musically more interesting or technically more interesting, whatever. But only the first one really just captured that, that, that idea as I had it and brought it out. But the other, you know, the others are all, all good bits of music. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the time I finished, by the time I got this flower opening here and this one opening there, and we joined them all together, we'll have a whole kind of field of crocuses, you know, coming up. You know, this this concept um, of, say, like the first take yeah. of an idea of, you know, a musical improvisation, I think it's very much like what I have experienced in the studio working with uh, bands that were recording songs, what happens is like you play the same thing three times or four times and yeah. the, 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 like the, the potential for um, free expression, let's say, for lack of a better term, kind of like sh- gets compressed from take to take. So like e- even though you may have played less mistakes in take four, but it just doesn't sound as alive as the first take. So no. that's that's why generally I try to also kind of like have people just do an okay job on the first take. And maybe we can then decide to kind of like just do punch in to fix something or, you know, but let's just keep the initial vibe. And Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's so often true, isn't it? Um, you know, the first takes are the one that work. And I think, you know, you've got to think about the nature of mistakes as well, really. I mean, I kind of, I, I go backwards and forwards about mistakes. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, sometimes I think, yeah, let's, you know, leave everything in. It's, it's, it's an honest statement of what happened. And it's, you know, the, the good stuff wouldn't have happened without the, the bad stuff in a way. And it's, it's the most honest. Um, and then, then other times I think, oh, well, I could just fix, I could just put that bit in tune or I could, you know, tighten up the rhythm a bit here you know but usually I, I kind of i'm increasingly finding that becomes just laborious and often counterproductive because i often find that um there's something about the being slightly out of tune or the slightly out of time that actually gives it a gives it the whole thing its appeal anyway when you start tinkering with the reality of it and yeah. it just lose it loses too much yeah. And, and and again, that is that is a puzzle that I enjoy. Like sometimes I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to go in and fix something. I want to go in and create something around the mistake that makes yes. the mistake work. Oh, that's so that's, nice. that's that's sort of like my yeah, approach. Also, nice. also, when when mixing the improvisations, right? Like I didn't cut anything out, but it was just more like, how do I balance the elements here in this moment, right? Yeah. So and. Uh, how do I how do I make it work? Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that idea. I hadn't thought of that either. <laughs> uh, and and you know, like in composition, it's the same for me. I like because the, like when I did the uh, did write the string quartet, for example, <clears throat> that you know that mat- the musical material was generated by an algorithm that I had created right so it was it was my composition already but then like i said okay no i want to honor this material so i did really don't want to just change a note because it doesn't sound good to me but i want to find an arrangement of these notes that then works and Mm -hmm. um and that that was the challenge and that's why really um 
a composition, at least a composition like that, is mostly mostly problem solving. Yes. And, yeah. and solving a puzzle. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I kind of I kind of quite like puzzles. Um. I mean, you know, I, along with Tony Levin, I was very into Sudoku puddle, puzzles. <laughs> Can't even say the word puzzle. But I, I remember, I, thought, I remember for a while when I was when I started doing Sudoku puzzles, and I was working at the um, university in, in London. I was going in on the tube every day, and I was doing Sudoku puzzles. And I thought, well, actually, maybe I could catch up with my harmony. I've never, you know, never been very good at harmony, so I started started doing harmony exercises instead of the way. And mm-hmm. Actually, I got more conversations out of doing harmony exercises than I ever did from Sudoku exercises. People, you know, people who had done harmony, you know, so many people actually, mm-hmm. you know, struggled with that in the past. I didn't get any better at it. I got kind of I, uh, still, you know, kept on making making the same kind of mistakes, and I got bored with that in the end. And I went back to Sudoku puzzles. But that 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 to me is the the nearest thing to kind of problem solving is trying to do, you know bark harmony and get that sort of thing right. But you know, like the difference, at least, well, the difference yeah, is yeah, that yeah. with with a with a Sudoku, you only have one. There's only one solution. Most of the time, yes. it's just yes, right, that's, and that's true. Yes, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. the difference? <laughs> yeah. Multiple solutions. Yeah, yeah. How are we doing then? Um, we're we're doing good, <laughs> doing okay. very good. Hey, so um, so you have to, you have just finished an album with a new with your band. You said is that is that? Yeah, yeah. I don't I I don't want to talk about it yet because I don't know what I'm what to say about it. <laughs> Yet, mm-hmm. so it's um, yeah. We, we well, I finished recording it a while ago, and it, uh, basically, what happened with it was that it was um, it was provisionally called in transit, and it was um, supposed to be sort of describing a, a sort of a change of a bit of a change of personnel and a change of um, change of material, mm-hmm. and um, and so that's why it kind of focused on the people and then suddenly then you know, when we did the music the music took over <laughs> that became more important mm-hmm. and then so as, as that as we got to that point i suddenly said well let's get the people back in it and then i wanted to um start somewhat finding some way of doing that so we've re- recorded a conversation uh, between everybody in the band and then we started cutting that up and trying to um mm-hmm. build that into just kind of links and in, and put that into some of the music as well. So that's where we are now, and it's kind of it's. Um, I don't know what it's all about, but there's certainly it's a kind of mixture of conversation um, and uh, and songs and and a little bit of um, under milk wood has come back and surfaced as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, wow. it's a funny funny mixture of things. So I haven't I haven't quite found a way of talking about the whole thing yet. But we're going to change the title as well. So yeah. Um, so, so are are those um, co- like collective compositions or yours? It's a mixture, actually. They're they're actually all DCB compositions. They're all band compositions, but from kind of different eras. Mm-hmm. Sort of played through the through the kind of through the voices of the people who are there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some is kind of some kind of echoes of the past. Um, Two of them are actually uh, instrumentals that were on 
um, the album I did with David Jackson, Another Day, which was, and we've taken two, two of the songs there have turned into so, and songs for instrumental pieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. It's 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 certainly it's certainly moved somewhere else from we've never, it's a place I've never been with the band before in terms of using the voices and and using text within the uh, within the songs. So we'll see. Can you uh, um, fill me in a little bit on the history of the David Cross Band? Like when did you? Put out the oh, first okay. album under the name David Cross Band. Um, well, I started. Kit off. It's really the the precursor was a, a sort. Of, it was a jazz, I was trying to learn to play jazz, and um, I was um, I was doing courses. I was playing with a. I was playing with a bebop group. We had a residency of the bebop group, and I was. Um, I played with a group called Talisker, who were doing kind of jazz based on folk music, Scottish folk music and stuff like that. And I was teaching a bit of jazz, and I, and um, I set up a jazz club. So I was with John Etheridge used to come down and play. And he used to, used to be local, and it was, it was so I was in so I was in in that frame of mind. So I had a group called They Came from Plymouth, which was um, with uh, Sheila Maloney, keyboard player. And a bass and drums, double, and it was a started with an upright bass. So it was definitely a sort of jazz band. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that, then that I realised that that was that I wanted to play more rock stuff from doing that. I wanted it to be rockier. That wasn't really rocking my boat as much as I liked. So then I moved into um, having a rock band together. So we did. I did an instrumental album first of all called Memos from Purgatory, which was. Um, and that was the first thing under my own name, which was David Cross. So albums have either come out as David Cross or the David Cross Band. Um, but that was the first, the memos from Purgatory. And then um, then after that, we realised that we didn't have a guitar and you had to have a guitar if you're going to be a rock band. So then we got a guitar in and, um, and just we've done a series of albums since then. Um, and that, that first album under your own name was which year approximately? Memos from Purgatory. Uh, must have been the 80s, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Memos from Purgatory. And then, um, I can't remember the first one we did with the band, was it with the, the Big Picture? Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look it up. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I try, I'll, I try I'm, not I'm to think too much, at, <laughs> too much about it. Yeah, it was 89. <laughs> Memos from was Purgatory. it 89? It's late it was 89. Yeah, because I remember an album called uh, Testing to Deconstruction. I Testing guess. to Destruction. Testing oh, to Destruction. Yeah, that's that's the one that I that I got yeah. when I was like 20 or something. Oh, right. Well, thank you very much for buying it. Yeah, sure. Um, I loved it. Yeah, that, I, I enjoyed that. That was good. That was one that was recorded. I think that was recorded. The one recorded down in Wim, down in Wimborne, I think, near near where Robert used to live in the studio mm-hmm. down there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it was interesting. And we did we did quite a lot of touring, and so we used to tour around clubs in Germany quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, in the early days. Um, 
But has has the uh, lineup changed much since then, or is there? Do you still have um, guys in the band that were there with you thirty years well, ago? We have had the the longest. We had the same guitarist Paul Clark was uh, there right the way through, and I think he was the longest serving member of the band. And Mick Paul, bass player, had been there for a long time as well. Mm-hmm. Keyboard player changed, um, and drummers changed as well. I mean, I think the, um, I think when we got when we worked with Craig Blundell was probably the most um, kind of uh, focused, kind of rock-based version of the band that we've had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Pat Garvey after him, who we worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also been very good. So it kind of it became became a kind of very much a guitar based um, rock band. But now I've moved away from that. To uh, you know, moved away from guitar. So we haven't got a guitarist in this new band. Well, the gin, the singer plays guitar, but it's not a you know a guitarist and that kind of yeah yeah yeah. Um, and. Um, and we're working with uh, with a new drummer as well, so it's it's kind of it's, it's all all kind of changing in a way. It's kind of moving in something that has got a bit more to and fro in terms of color. It's not mm-hmm. sort of so one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've lost a certain amount of uh, authority and certainty about what's going on, mm-hmm. um, and gone into a kind of more quantum state. <laughs> nobody quite knows what it's supposed to sound like at any one point so this is it's actually quite a place which is which i quite like to be in um and uh, you know it was it was very nice and i really like working with the david cross band as a kind of you know strong rock band to play with but i kind of also quite like um you know being in this place where you never quite know what's going to happen next and um you know, I, I like it's, it's the whole idea of knowing what something should sound like, which has always seemed like the kind of kiss of death to me. Um, you know, if if you know what something is going to sound like, what's the point of doing it? You know, it used to be a constant problem going to studios where the engineer would also say, well, what do you want it to sound like? As if I bloody knew that, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be asking you to do anything, would I? There's no point. You know, if, if, if what it sound like you too, they get you too to play it. <laughs> and um, you know, I, the DCB had got a bit kind of into its own formula, I think. And I, so, I, I, for this album in particular, I just wanted to move away from that and just try and see where else we could go with it. Um, which was partly why I wanted to look at some of the older material as well, you know, to prove how the people can, <laughs> can really change it. But mm-hmm. the thing I really learned is, as we said earlier on, the music is stronger than the people. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, um, you know, as always, completely lost, completely ignorant about why any of it works. So. But you um, know, speaking speaking of guitar based sounds, like yeah. um, when when you and I when we played together, and like this disc five of the Pan America box set that I put together, which just has the two of us playing. Like yeah. when I listen to it, like. Sometimes I have no idea. Is that you playing the lead no, I never solo, know. or is it Marcus? <laughs> is it me? <laughs> I so, never know. <laughs> so you 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 found a way to um, probably by 
you know, having worked with the rock guitars in your band for a long time to kind of like, you know, counter that energy with your, yeah. Yeah. and e well, and even in, in Crimson, you, you, you did, you know, like, but with the technology back then, it was probably a little harder. Yeah, yeah, fuzz boxes were a good invention, weren't they? I mean, they worked. <laughs> they worked on Hona pianets as well as, um, you know, as well as guitars. And yeah. did you did did you just because I'm just curious, like, um, so with Crimson, did you uh, uh, have like lots of feedback issues on stage, or how did you how did you solve that? Um, that? Yeah, initially, we I, I I mean I started off stuffing a violin with fiberglass mm -hmm. stuff to try and cut down the vibrations but there was um i think it was a barkus berry pickup was the first one that seemed to kind of get through uh, solve a lot of those problems mm -hmm. but um i think still all the time i was in crimson i was using basically a, a violin with a pickup on it a barkus berry pickup yeah all the way through so um i didn't get hold of a the uh decent electric violin until after that. Mm -hmm. There was one that, um, there was a Fender I remember that was, um, that I did try out, which I didn't like, but I'd quite like to go back and try it now. It was, <laughs> it was, it was a bit too harsh then, but I think, I think if I, if rather than sort of overreacting like a bloody violinist to it, saying, no, this doesn't sound very nice, sounds nasty. I think if I'd, gone with it i might have i might have got further on earlier because mm -hmm. i think it was i think the the um the sound system was different it was a different uh, i don't think they were magnetic pickups but it was certainly a different kind of different kind of pickup system mm -hmm. and i think that might have given me because it, it had a good signal that might have given me better results um so you know i mean i'm still you know go backwards and forwards all the time now i've got a v electra which is which has been very good but um you know there's the compared with the zeta it's got you know too much bow noise on the on the e string and and i'm trying to work out how to cut down on to change the um you know eq envelope as i move across the strings you know mm -hmm. I'm trying to see if there's a way of doing that so that i can cut down on the bow noise there but still get the warmth at the bottom you know it's it's a tricky thing but um you know it's, it's i still love love playing the instrument you know i just just love it i pray you know i, I practice I, I find i move i move between two things i've started i've been coming trying to balance out practicing which is which i see as a kind of technique process um one that i enjoy uh with trying to improve my sound my you know my electric sound which is a kind of another process and I, the kind of they don't quite meet you know if i work on one it's always at the expense of the other somehow mm -hmm. and i you know they, they they meet when i perform or when i play or when i record that's all that's so so far you know it seems to be working all right but but not as not as practice processes they don't meet up you know i have to do one thing or the other mm -hmm. um so that's all that's all a bit weird i've got a, a new toy a v sound 2 which is a um Stradivarius in a box that's my new new effect pedal okay Stradivarius in the box you come nice. across those shit. <laughs> oh. Imp impulse responses it's an impulse response thing mm -hmm. so you know they take a Stradivarius and they 
drop a hammer onto the bridge mm-hmm. and record the response and then turn that into an EQ, which they sell to you in a pedal. Well, it's not just Stradivarius, it's Stradivarius Guanarius. Mm-hmm. And then there's cellos as well. So I've got actually the cello sounds really works really well with the, the electro. It's great. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I drop it down an octave and I use the um, use the cello sound with that. It's it's really classy. It's really good. But the Stradivarius is very interesting because it just changes. It does change the way that you play. You know, it's like playing with a, a violin again, but quite a good. It is like playing with quite a good violin, mm-hmm. and it actually you know changes the attack and. When you have that kind of uh, snappy attack on it, which uh, good violin players do, it it responds. You know, it likes that. It likes you doing that. But um, you know, I can't play with it all the time. It's a special effect because it just it just forces you to to want to play Bach all the time. You know, just uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just screaming out for what what should be coming out there. So I kind of go back to a much more kind of um, even bass. I, I have a bypass thing that cuts out a lot of the bow sound and I'm using that for my basic sound at the moment. But uh, no, it's all good fun. David, when when did the uh, fretted instrument come into your life? Uh, it, was, it took took a while, I think, because I was, when I first had Zetas, no, they weren't fretted. It, it, it took a while because there's a, you know, a lot of resistance to it. Um, I, I wasn't sure whether it would work or not, mm-hmm. but it was it was just um, you know just ongoing problems the tuning that's it was, it was just driving me mad just the difficulty of a the difficulty of um, the, the normal technical difficulty that people have playing the violin the tune, which you know I had as well, but I probably had it worse than other people. Um, because uh, because I become nervous about it, so I become uptight about it, so it became an issue, <clears throat> and uh, and it became an issue uh, in live performance because um, because I was worried about it, so I would be concerned, and therefore I wouldn't relax, and therefore I'd play sharp or flat or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, in the end, I decided just to give it a try with frets, and and it worked basically. Mm-hmm. You know, instantly when I tried, just I did, originally did fretting just up to the fifth, seven frets, I think it is, isn't it? Um, and that really worked well for me, even though those frets, uh, they're never perfect. You know, they're never in exactly the right place to actually make mm-hmm. a rise in tune. There's always, there's always, you can always play them sharp or flat. Um, but it just gave me enough security. So it's a, it was a kind of... It was a kind of it was a kind of um, psychological switch. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. said you don't have to worry about this anymore, right? You put your mm-hmm. finger there, right? You're close enough, <laughs> you know. Yeah, play yeah. that note, you'll be all right. You know, you can you can move it up or down a bit if you want to, but just put your finger there, and you'll be okay. And it's just like a psychological crutch, really, and and it worked. And mm-hmm. just from that point, I just started relaxing about tuning. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was just such an enormous relief, re- re- release, I suppose, um, a relief, and I got over the tension and a, and a release of anxiety, that um, release from anxiety that I could just start concentrating on something else when I first walked in front of an audience, rather than playing the first notes in tune, you know. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and it, and so it was liberating, absolutely liberating. So I've tried, uh, I tried going the whole hog. I had a wood violin that had, was fretted all the way up, but the, you know, at the top the frets are so small, close <laughs> together, you can't you can't get your fingers into them. Um, but uh, but it's, it was very well done. It was a nice instrument. It is a nice instrument. I still have it here. Um, but in the end, I, I kind of compromised. I still like being able to swoop around fairly freely, so I did it up to halfway. So now I have halfway fretted instrument, mm-hmm. and 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 it kind of works. I mean, it. Um, I certainly play more in tune, I think, than I would without uh, without frets. Now, still, I think, um, but you know, it, it does. Um, you know, it's not a perfect. It's not a perfect solution. You know, double stops are always always going to be a problem on a violin, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so playing those in tune is um, sometimes easier. It depends. You know, I have to I have to be very careful about how I tune the violin. I have to tune it very carefully and make sure I you know tune to these non-perfect fifths that we're, that we're also keen on, and and then it kind of works. Kind of works all right. But yeah, I've, you, know. Uh, you know, I've had uh, David Bruce Johnson, who makes the V Electras, work work very hard on getting the frets as close as we could to to good intonation with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you know we, we keep trying. Yeah, it's you know the the world of uh, guitars has had that issue kind of like forever, and there are solutions nowadays, but. I, I kind of like that, you know, I like that a guitar is never really in tune. It's, yeah. it's like a certain, there's, there's a certain magic to the fact that you, you're always going to get slightly differently interacting over tones and, and especially yeah. playing with, with distortion. Yeah. If you wanted, you know, if you wanted to sound always the same or then, then it would make sense to have a perfect tuning, but yeah. to me, to me, uh, really, I, I love the fact that things are, organic it's yes yes yeah. Yeah. i mean yeah you you know want it to be somewhat in tune for sure but yeah i mean especially if you if you start playing chords if you're suddenly playing more this than a double a, stop right? terrify me all the time <laughs> <laughs> but know, then you can they sound so awful when they're out of tune but you can you can get just beautiful chorusing you know if it's just within reason you know it sounds sounds good you know? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah no I, you know i i had i didn't know i had no idea really um when you started the the solo career and uh and yeah also about your anxiety uh you know playing a tune um, I never, right. thought, never, never thought about that, but it makes total sense. I, I guess I would have been uh, pretty anxious about that as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's, uh, yeah. It was, it was definitely getting in the way because it's, um, because it was interfering with my relationship with the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. not, yeah. not just you know, I might have been playing out of tune, but just. Because I wasn't relaxed, I wasn't. I wasn't really, you know, working with the working with the audience and picking stuff up from them. Um, so has your in, has your interest in with my technique? I don't, <laughs> don't yeah. have to worry about tuning. 
So has your interest in jazz dwindled or is that something that is uh, still with you kind of like also as a player? In a way it ran its course, I think. Um, and that I kind of I kind of learned it I learned what I needed to learn. Mm -hmm. um, it's difficult to describe I found it difficult to express exactly what I feel without sounding very negative about jazz. And I don't mm -hmm. actually feel negative about jazz. I think jazz uh, you know, it's probably, you know, the most innovative, um, you know, form of music that, that's, that, that, that's happened in, you know, the last couple of hundred years. Um, and, you know, I think it's immensely powerful. And I think all the players that have made it work, um, you know, have done as, are incredible artists. And, mm -hmm. and in that way, I, you know, I remain kind of in awe uh, of of jazz music and jazz musicians, I think that um, I think that what, what I found in the process of learning was that, um, like learning any language, that it's a very specific language, that it's very self-referential, like all forms of music, um, and that. The starting point was always what had gone before, uh, never starting somewhere that was actually a different place altogether. I couldn't get that to work anyway. I couldn't get that to work within that um, within that formula. And I found, for me, I found it. I found that I, I wasn't able to transcend the forms. Mm -hmm. I found that I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to really express myself um, within the forms, within jazz forms. Uh, I found that. Uh, I, th I found the audience for jazz um, responding, doing a really big job of conditioning. They were just responding to the jazz references. They weren't responding to the person or the people that were in front of them, as far as I could see. They didn't seem to respond to the innovations or the realities, both emotional and um, and musical, that were going on in front of them. And I couldn't. I didn't. I, knew, I was never comfortable. I was never mm -hmm. comfortable because it never felt a place. Um, it didn't feel like, as I said, I'm walking into the stage with Stickman. I feel like I'm walking into a familiar living room, walking onto a jazz stage. Um, I, you know, initially I was a, a pretender, or a, an imposter, and all these things, but that's part of learning. Um, but later on, I just was not comfortable to be me there. I was able to play the role of the jazz player, if you want, to a certain extent. But I wasn't happy with that role. I didn't like that role. I didn't want to be that person doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, even even when I even when you know the, the imposter turned into, I had a certain degree of competence. I wasn't happy with being a competent 
imposter <laughs> still felt still felt it wasn't home mm -hmm. which was a shame because i did um you know i did really like uh you know a, a lot of um jazz that had come before and you know like miles davis and coltrane people and I, like, and I liked a lot of things like you know into jazz fusions i liked a lot of the kind of crossover stuff but um but he's now it's never able to never really able to be comfortable there mm. whereas uh you know i was more comfortable with punk really i kind of i was more kind of understandable to me i could i could read that i could see the people and i could feel the feelings um but you know, I don't know. I just you'd, I, you'd sit in an audience at a jazz concert, and everybody'd be clapping these solos, and you'd think, well, you know, there's nothing there. You know, nothing mm. happened. What are we clapping? Nothing mm. happened at all. You know, <laughs> I, no, I, I just I, I couldn't get, but couldn't get into it. I couldn't I, I, get into that. You know, if we want to just look at this from a positive side right i i really <laughs> i really believe that you you are a, a musician with first of all you come from a certain culture right and like the european culture of whatever your influences and 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 uh you also have a vision like you have i you have musical ideas yeah. That's just let's not call it vision, right? But like you have musical ideas, and you are not you are an artist. You have artistic ideas, and and that's probably why the concept of sort of like recreating a sound, but like a big part of what jazz. I don't think that that's jazz, but for a lot of people, that's what jazz is. Um, yes, like yes. that re recreating a sound uh, is probably not of a, a big interest to you. Same, yeah. absolutely the same with me and. You know, like I wasn't really that aware of of jazz in it, like or in general and also in historic terms. But yeah, I remember that in my early twenties, um, and you know, I started late. I really, I really only started with twenty um, uh, to play, and and I had a friend, or I still have this friend, and he said to me that he he had studied jazz for a few years, and he said it was the biggest mistake he made in his life. That's what he said to me, and that that was kind of like stayed with me. <laughs> and uh, now I think I understand what he meant. That you know, but um, I think it's really about like like first of all, what do you want to do? Like, what would David do? Like this this idea of your own toolkit, your own toolbox, your own your own ways of expression. And if studying jazz or if actually playing with the jazz group adds more more tools to the to the toolkit then that's fine right and but then you still want to design your own sound and your own piece of music right yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i i certainly did did learn a lot you know i i learned i did add a lot of um you know tools to my toolkit from 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 studying jazz and uh you know i mean the the conversations that you know <laughs> Jazz, you know, pitched instrument players have, or particularly, particularly chordal players, you know, just soul destroying, <laughs> soul destroying. <laughs> you know, just totally focused on chord types all the time, and uh, you know, chord scales and all the rest of it. It's just, it's just exhausting, <laughs> and it, and it does, you know, it does. 
it's it's very i suppose i mean the whole chord thing is just kind of um it just eliminates any other way you know of looking at at uh at the pool of notes or or you know the pool of sound that's available um you know if you're, you're thinking in terms of how everything relates to the major scale all the time you know mm -hmm. everything is a function of the major scale mm -hmm. um you know there, there's there's more more there's more noise in the universe than that <laughs> You know, this is this is another uh, thing that I do do try to teach is that when we say, for example, C, E, and G, mm. that does not mean that you have to label it as a C major chord. You could also just simply say this is three notes, and one is a C, the other is an E, and it's a G. You don't have to label, and you can you can sort of kind of like decide if you see something just simply as a collection that you don't label, collection of pitches yeah. you don't label or if you want to label it. And, and I think like the tendency to, uh, to label things, that is like when the restriction happens, right? You can still be, you can still be aware of the notes that you play and of their functions, right? But you kind of like decide which level of, of, of uh, uh, determination in a way of the system you, you submit yourself under and, uh, yeah. And yet, you know, that's also why I'm starting with the circle of fifth, because then it's just it's just a collection of pitches and you can kind of like combine any of these pitches. You don't have to label them, you know? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand why why there's a joy in having a system that explains everything, you know, and mm -hmm. certainly if you, under, you know, if you understand chords very well. You know, you can you can you can interpret almost anything in terms of those chords, but it's there, you know there are there are things I've learned from um, Andrew Keeling, I, flute player, and mm -hmm. musicologist, composer, and I've done another have another album with him. We've done finished another album with him this year, which is going to be out nice. later mm -hmm. this year, and. One of the things that I've really learned from him is 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 about ambiguity in music and tonality, and 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 it's beautiful, you know, mm. um, when you don't know whether you're in a major or a minor, when you know when you know these chords might resolve or they might never intended to resolve, you know, all of that is just wonderful stuff. You know, and you can create it, of course, ambiguity just with a couple of notes, you know, mm -hmm. or even one note, you know, mm -hmm. and add another one to it. And, you know, the simplest things are wonderful, yeah. you know, and to just suddenly, like you're saying, if you've got C and G, you know, well, I mean, you know, just, just having a C would be enough for everybody to say C major, you know, in a, in a jazz context. It's just, you know, <laughs> must be. That's it. You know, it's just... Um, so I understand why it's nice to be able to explain everything, but musically, it's nice really not to be able to explain or even to anticipate exactly what's going to happen as a result of the notes that happen to have occurred in front of you at any particular moment. You know, it's much more exciting to see that there are different relations that can evolve and, you know, different ways of playing. So anyway, I've learned. I love. I love the power of ambiguity. Now that's my latest. Yes. Yes. Minimalism in terms of resources and um, and ambiguity. You you just brought up the word simple, and uh, 
you know, this is like something that like, even like from my early youth, I, I did not understand what people meant and when they were saying that a piece of music is simple, for example, because that never meant anything to me. Like what, where, where does, you know, where goes something from simple and when goes something from simple to complicated or difficult or well complicated, I guess mm. it, for, to me, that doesn't make any sense. I think music is like, thank you. You can, you, David, you can play one note that is so incredibly rich and, and, and beautiful. And that, you know, like it kind of like includes the whole world somehow that one note and what like, and then somebody comes around and says, Oh, that's very simple. Like it's just playing one note. And, uh, I, I talked about this with uh, with Nick Batch also as part of this series of conversations, and he said there's uh, I can't remember. Like he said, uh, as he said, there's something like simple-minded. Yes. And there's simple-minded and there's simple, and that there's that it's uh, something. Uh, it's not the same thing, but I can't remember what he said. But anyway, anyway, it's um, um, so with with your so it seems seems to me like your still very active like with at least like three projects in the works as far as i oh yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah no i don't we've got yeah, i've got another one yeah i've got all sorts of things going on i've and some some quite bad failures really <laughs> i have this idea for an album based on um on quantum on the on the the kind of uh, on quantum um, quantum mechanics and and the yeah. strange concepts that come up with that and trying to get people to express this as music and um, so you know I sort of planned out what ideas I might try and get other people to work on and and uh, I, I did did talk to another comp a composer friend of mine and and um, and he said oh that sounds right up my street and I sent him up my 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 sort of sheet outlining all the things and he hasn't spoken to me since so I've got, <laughs> I, i'm so sure he would think this was great <laughs> but he definitely doesn't doesn't seem to want to go forwards with it so um i'm not sure you know i'm not sure how how far i'm going to get with that but that that was one sort of one idea i've been working on all, all kind of I, I, I tend to keep a number of ideas on the boil, and that's one that kind of has been coming back to me a bit. So, but can the first, I just the first positive step I took on it just got knocked back. So, but can you can you give me a little bit more detail on what you had in mind with that? All I, all I wanted to do was to uh, just explore the um, just explore. I just wanted to see if music could shed any light on. For instance, uh, when we were talking earlier, we were talking about um, you know playing something that might be construed as a mistake, and then I said, well, maybe if you played it four and a half seconds later, it would make that first occurrence mm -hmm. justified. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, in uh, on 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 the quantum level, there is no there's, there seems to be no reason in physics why something shouldn't go backwards in time or forwards in time. It doesn't seem to be any difference. Mm -hmm. So. Um, in that way, perhaps music also demonstrates that, you know, that this has a this has a meaning, which is not apparent at this point, but the but it becomes apparent later on. Mm -hmm. 
So, but it's only when that decision is made later on, if a different decision is made later on, then this has a different meaning, doesn't it? So you could explore that in music. So you could, you did so, I'm got a piano, but you could start off with, you know, a collision of two notes and you could have, you know, and the meaning, you have meaning one come out of that. And then you have, the, then you try a different experiment. We have the collision of two notes and then a different meaning is attached to it depending on what's played later afterwards. So it's a kind of time travel changing of meaning. Um, okay. You know, it's just, it's just a, what music is a way of exploring it as, you know, as is mathematics and, you know, language. Um, so um, I, th I think probably what put him off was I wrote a kind of sketch about, about Schrodinger's cat, which, <laughs> which, uh, which had a song, you know, dead or alive, dead or alive, nobody knows whether he's dead or something like that. Something like that, some stupid song that I put in his, <laughs> you know, along with some sort of improvisation and, and that came on and off. And, mm -hmm. and then the, the uh, kind of guy that was singing just sort of stomped off stage at the end. This was what, this was just a, a, a sort of humorous attempt to outline what could, possibly could be done with the idea. You know, what, what comes to, to mind, Sorry. What, what comes to mind for me is this, uh, this idea in quantum physics that the observer or the, the presence of the observer changes yeah. the music or changes the, you know, the situation. And yes, and, that would be a very good thing to explore, wouldn't it? Yeah. And, and that, that is sort of like, that has always been true throughout my life that when I, when, you know, like listening to a piece of music on your own versus with, you know, person X or person mm. Y around the piece of music would change. Like yes. the way that I experience it would change. And, um, yes. that seems to be kind of like, a, well, at least in principle related, you know, why did you say earlier that you don't take any notice of the audience? Is it is that true? Is it that you don't take any notice? Did you said something like that earlier? No, I, I said I said that I'm sort of like when when it comes to my musical interest to explore, yeah. um, I I don't think that the, the audience doesn't want to experience that. I I I try to keep this positive right. outlook that that yeah. you know the audience wants to actually uh experience that you know somehow that's sort of like how i kind of like maybe trick myself <laughs> into uh into the situation where like we can be explorers rather than uh yes. repeating things and and you know like there's like i i have to be so grateful um having having met pat and tony um because like you know like to be to be quite honest like the reason why um I was able to tour with Stickman or you, we, you, and we were able to tour with Stickman was because Tony is kind of famous, right? Yes. Tony has been on stages for 60 years and, and you know, people come because they like his look sometimes even, yes. or, you know, and, and they don't, they don't really uh, expect necessarily a specific kind of music and, yeah. And because of Tony's broad background as well, so I think that's that's just such a wonderful thing, and and it's it's a real privilege. I would say it's a real privilege even to be in yes. that situation. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I think 
and I kind of grew up with my my father was uh, you know was a musician and uh, you know he played he was a church organist and choir master and he was a dance band pianist and um, this was all semi pro stuff mm-hmm. and then later uh, later on he also did um, used to do uh, playing like working men's clubs where he'd be pl- playing the organ so he'd play, play organ but one of the things that he he was very very good at putting together medleys uh you know say beatles tunes or well-known tunes and um uh you know just the segues from one to the other were always very smooth and he was always very good at judging the mood mood of the room you know and i'd watch I always felt that what he had was was something very special, and that he seemed to pick up the vibe of the room, you know, when he was working. And then when we talked about it, he did. He was also a good improviser because he, you know, it's, uh, the organ was about the only thing you had to improvise on, you know, because you have to improvise for people walking into church and you know procession, mm-hmm. processions in church. So you have to be able to stop and start according to when they reach a certain point in the church. Um, but I also, a lot of drummers also watch people's feet, you know, to see whether their feet are tapping, to mm-hmm. see whether they're actually feeling what's going on, you know, and they kind of change their feel to try and get the, the that tapping going. And I kind of, I try, <laughs> I feel when I get into the space where we're, where we're improvising, that we're kind of collectively meeting up with the audience, you know, in in a in a different play, in a different space, that we're kind of, um, but we're all still there, but we're not we're not you know the people up front, you know, m- moving our arms around. Or whatever. it's more like, you know, we're all in the dance together. You talked about it as being a dance earlier. I think it is like a dance. So I think it has a physicality to it, and uh, I feel like we're all kind of in this different space together, and that somehow there is a communication going on. Um, and that we do, I think we do sense things from the audience um, through, you know, through somehow other means, telepathically or from the, you know, scent in the room, goodness knows how we do it. But there's definitely something that's going on that's extraordinary when people come together. Mm-hmm. Um, and and exploring that space is just, uh, you know, it's just such a, a dream of an experience, but you know it, it is very different doing it with people, you know, like Stickman, and, and it's just um, because you you don't have to fight with any of the other problems. <laughs> you don't have to, you know, argue about what tunes you're playing, or, or you don't have to sort of put up with tunes that are, you know that are uninteresting. You know, while you wait wait for a chance to improvise or do your solo or whatever. <laughs> You know, you know, like um, Pat also watches the audience quite a bit, like for yes. like the body movement and 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 I think there is uh, an element that we should not forget, which in the case of Stickman, it was Robert Fraser, who does who is the sound engineer who is he who is in the audience and actually in the audience, yeah, and and so he can kind of like make sure as much as he can that the energy transfers. Right? Yeah, and he can he can watch the room and you kind know, of like ride the waves of the music like with the faders and mm-hmm. and that's you know yeah. 
you know that's why i think like a great band always needs their own engineer like it's, yes. it's i'm i'm scared of going around playing with a band without and having an engineer yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's amazing how good people are actually <laughs> there are a lot of really good people out there yeah. um, you know do do things but it, i think that's the ideal yeah it's the ideal situation i mean if you're thinking about improvised music that you really need a uh, an engineer who's really good and and understanding what's going on. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, otherwise, it could, I mean, it could take three nights to work out what's, you know, work out yeah. what's happening, isn't it? What's important? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah David, I, I really don't want to take up too much of your time. I think it's, uh, for we me, it's, it's, we're doing good. I mean, yeah. Yeah. almost, almost two hours, so. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But you know, I think you know you you have so many. Yes, you have so many you have so many things uh, uh, to share, and I I have the feeling that sometimes you you're holding back a little bit because like I think there's there's more in your sphere of experience than some things you don't share much. Like, uh, and I I may maybe I'm wrong, but but at least that's kind of like the impression. What, what what occurs to you that what I, I, I don't know that I'm particularly aware of that I don't I don't want to yeah for example like your like your work you know like the the teaching you did and and like I, I would be like really interested in kind of like uh, having some sort of sense what like you said you were there like for 40 years or something or 30 years and and mm -hmm. And I'm I'm always interested in these these long term uh, experiences, these long term projects. Like like when you started, like the first six months, like the first ten years, and like how things kind of revolve, how things change, how one's uh, uh, personal um, uh, let's just say uh, skill level of dealing with the situation of being. A teacher or being in an institution or like all of all of these things i'm always very interested about because i don't i don't have that experience as a total totally freelance uh person you know so yes. well I, I mean i had a, a kind of upside down experience really as a teacher because i, I be, because i became i trained as a teacher and then i became a musician mm -hmm. Um, and then I, after being a musician, I then looked into, I'd, I'd, I'd been interested in drama before, so then I started studying acting mm -hmm. as well. And I got some work as an actor as well, so I did some acting. Um, and uh, I did that until, until really I kind of realised that it was just as difficult as making music. And at that point, I thought, "Wow, well, <laughs> maybe this this could get quite hard work." I think I, th I thought it was just I thought it was just having a laugh, you know. I thought it was just having fun, and um, I didn't realise, you know, quite how difficult it was. And then I started because I was lucky to do understudying on some productions with some really good actors, in, and I could, you know, start to see what they were actually doing, and uh, you know, and how wonderful they actually were. Um, I actually did a um, 
comment. Did I tell you this before? I did it. I had, I was understudy with Helen. Do you know Helen Mirren, an actress? Yes. Yeah. Well, she was uh, she was the lead in this play, and I I was just um, I, I was understudying the male lead, so he couldn't make the tech rehearsal. So I had to do the tech rehearsal with Helen Mirren as the main actress. So it was really one. That was a great experience. Just to you know. You're just talking through the lines. You just talk through the lines, and it's just to get the lights in the right place, you know, and all the rest of it. But you know, just to just to, you know, just in rehearsals to see her working and everything was fantastic because she was always different, I and mean, that's what I. That's what really started me thinking. You know that there was never, there was never. It wasn't just that every night was different. It was kind of from moment to moment, she was mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. You know that she was always just moving. There was something always going on there, and it was always always just seemed, you know, really kind of real. Um, you know, so I began to sort of get a, a sense of what really classy, <laughs> classy acts, actors could do. And uh, when I when I got to that stage, I thought, well, maybe I better get my violin out again. You know, because <laughs> I, th I thought, you know, I thought I would, I thought I had acting cracked. I thought I'd have it done in two years. Um, but you know, I uh, and actually, I think I, by the time I it took me, I had a they had, they had this thing about getting an equity card, where you couldn't get an equity equity card without having an equity job, and you couldn't get an equity job without having an equity card. It's you know the actors' union, so you couldn't. It wasn't possible theoretically to get an equity card. Yet people had them, you know. <laughs> so I finally managed to do it because I was working in a theatre in Bristol, Bristol Old Vic. Theatre where I'd written the music for a play, and because I was interested in acting, they let me act um, uh, act in one of the, one of the scenes. I had to just you know just dance around on stage doing Morris dances, hitting other people with poles and things. They let me do a bit of that, and somebody there who was going to be the musical director on another show um, saw me doing that, assumed I had an equity card because I was in an equity theatre, but I was actually there as a musician on a musician's union card, mm. and I got offered the other job. So when I took it, they said, what's your equity number? I said, well, I haven't got an equity card. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, oh, well, you've got an equity job now, so we'll have to get you an equity card. So I got <laughs> one. So that's how you did it. So I finally had a card. Hey, what, you where, asked me about teaching, actually, didn't you? I've been talking about. No, no. Did you did do you remember or uh, where your passion for for theatre or acting uh, originates? Um. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, just from family, like did, family play, just playing. I think. I think it just comes from being a child. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't like like going to the theater as a kid or maybe seeing like a film on TV or something that kind of like spoke to you. No, I don't think so. I mean, mm -hmm. Lawrence of Arabia was my favorite film as I was growing up, and that uh, loved the music from that. Mm -hmm. um, but I also, you know, also loved the imagery and the you know and the acting and everything was wonderful about it to me. Mm -hmm. It was just fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, my father was, you know, he was he was a musician. My, he talked about, you know, his 
his mother, I think his grandmother had been an actress. I think there was that sort of side in the family. So his, people would talk about it a bit. Loved comedy. I loved, always loved things that, you know, made me laugh. Um, I've, I don't know. No, I, th I think, I think, I think it was also, I think it was to do with being very shy and really, and it seemed a way of, um, of getting out of that shyness, you know. I didn't understand that, that, you know, actually you can still be shy and you can act and then you can still be shy again afterwards or even while you're doing it, you know, it's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it doesn't solve those problems. Um, so I don't really know where it came from. No, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a genetic need to show off, I suppose, in a way it's a kind of, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know. But it was that I had I had a lot of fun with I had a lot of fun with um, uh, learning to act really and 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 doing it a bit I you know I got to do some interesting things but they were all theatre and actually that was rather nice I think um, but I got into teaching after I got into teaching after that but when I did get into teaching I got into teaching because of music because I written some music for a show and then they couldn't play it because they couldn't read music. So they asked me, I had to come and teach them to play the music I'd written. So that's mm -hmm. how I started teaching. Mm -hmm. And I worked in something called community education, which was a kind of experimental thing that had been set up in London, um, which was just to try and explore other ways of uh, lifelong learning. And it didn't, didn't rule out school age at all, but it included the whole range of life. So we, you know, we had things set up for, uh, you know, babies, really babies, mums and mums and babies, dads and babies, and, um, you know, an old, old people's uh, choir. And, um, I, and I did great stuff. I, I really enjoyed stuff doing that. I had, a, I, had a, I had a chamber music group, basically anything I wanted to learn about that anybody else wanted to learn about, I just set up a class and we'd do it, you know. So we did chamber music Thursday afternoons, you know, jazz was kind of Tuesday and Thursday evenings, I think. I don't know, Tuesday evenings was jazz. Thursday evening we had um, uh, we had band, band night and rehearsals and shows and things like that. But it was just, work, you know, working in the community, just making things happen. And a lot of that was based around theatre anyway. We put on shows and stuff like that. And then I got into, um, but I had been trained as a proper teacher before that. And then eventually I got a job as a proper teacher when, when that fell through. Mm -hmm. And um, and that was when the hard work really began because then, it's, then it became much more difficult. But what I had learnt uh, from community education really was where I, did get some insight into education and I, I learned so many things really. I mean, I suppose one of the main things was that um, people respond very well to each other across the whole age group. But when you have a whole age group kind of vertically, you know, kind of grandparents, parents, children, um, there, there isn't any problem with discipline. There isn't any problem with um, kind of vying for resources or anything. All those problems don't exist, mm -hmm. and there's much more. It's much easier. People behave much better, and people want to learn 
and learn from each other in a much better way. So that kind of natural order of natural location for learning, which which is kind of a family mm-hmm. learning situation or a small community learning situation, is really effective. Mm-hmm. And that was that was kind of the first thing that really came home to me that it was possible to do that. Um, and very different from going to schools, which are all layered. They're, in, they're all layered with age groups and the whole, well, the whole education system's layered in age groups. But learning doesn't necessarily work that way. And, and people respond to different age groups. People respond to other people from different age groups in different ways. So, um, this know, is super, super, super interesting. Super interesting for me, David, because I have found that in my in my life, I've always looked for uh, inspiration, let's say, or learning experiences mm-hmm. from people that are older than me or younger than me, and I still do. Yeah. Uh, I never I never thought about it really, but um, it's natural, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you recognize, you know, you recognize the difference mm-hmm. in doing that. Um, yeah, it's, that's why I, I really do have a whole lot of, I don't want to say respect, but uh, like if I ask you a question, right, like it is because I see value in your answer, even without like knowing what the answer will be, right? It's, yeah. but, but it's, it's sort of like, sort of like the basis of, uh, of my, of my, uh, uh, education with the world that I sort of like, do believe that there is something there in other people that yeah. can be useful for me in a way. Yes. I mean, I, I was, I was always, always learning all the time when I was in community education. I, I used to do this chamber music class and um, which I, in which I was the teacher. But I mean, I also went, you know, not, on, not in my institution, went to another institution where I was a pupil in a chamber music class with other people who were much better than me. So, you know, I was always learning anyway. But I, I remember there was um, somebody called George, I remember, was, a, was, you know, a good deal older than me when I was in my 30s. He would his 80s, who came along, he was a viola player, and um, he would he would play, play in this group. And um, he, he kind of, because he became a kind of father figure for, to me, to me, and I knew I knew he had something for me, you know, mm-hmm. I just knew almost from the day time he walked through the door, I knew mm-hmm. he had something that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and we and we did have a nice time. He introduced me to golf. He's the first person. To, we didn't go. To, we went to some nets, and he showed me another thing. And then we did a bit of pitch and putt. You know, we'd meet up and do some of that. And um, and he, you know, he'd organised we would for us to go out as a quartet and play at somebody's party and there's some friends of his. It was just a really nice, nice relationship. And the I remember that um, he one day he came in and. Uh, he brought in some stuff to clean on. He said, "I'll clean your violin today." And he took after after the session. He took ages, you know, to clean the violin. He had this special polish he was using on the on this violin. 
and things. And um, he died two days later. You know, he was gone. It's like he knew. It was. Uh, it, it was. It was a. You know, it wasn't. A, he wasn't ill at all. He was just a, a bleed in his leg, and he, you know, just it didn't didn't get caught, and he was. He just bled out from his his thing, but. But that was the last thing he did was he'd never done that before. He just came in and he, today I'm gonna to clean your violin, you know, and he just did oh. this thing for me. And it was just a lovely thing to do. Mm-hmm. And and he you know, just the way he talked to me was he was always he was always he always, he gave me great hope about old age, which I had not had before. I think that was probably the biggest gift he gave me. You know, he was mm-hmm. he was he always had a twinkle in his eye. Um <laughs> you know, and he just he just loved people and he just uh you know, he just he fired me up with some enthusiasm for old age. It was, <laughs> it was, it was really, it was really a lovely thing to to, to have from him. Uh, and you know, I just had lots of really nice experiences like that. So I, when I went went into mainstream education, it was it was completely the opposite. And everything, I mean, everything about it was wrong as far as I could see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, first thing I said when I went in there was, well. You know, people were so proud. Unfortunately, people were so proud in the English education system. Musicians were so proud that we got music into the national curriculum. You know, that it was rather than being a sort of a fringe subject, it was put into the national curriculum. So, uh, so after you know a term of doing this, I realised what a terrible mistake, terrible mistake that was, because these kids at the age of fourteen had to be there. They didn't want to be there, you know, and they were being tortured into learning music. Um, so I said, well, we should, you know, we should, we should, uh, you know, make it voluntary mm-hmm. and make all the difference in the world. Just make it, make it something they, they can do or they cannot do. If they don't mm-hmm. want to do it, fine. You know, but if they want to do it, then let's make it fun. Mm-hmm. But, you know, taught by having to keep them there, you know, it's just not, well, anyway, I think that's a whole other story from, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> from that uh, way on. Yeah. Yeah, David. Maybe, maybe we'll leave it at that. We don't don't want to go <laughs> on for another two hours, which I know we could. But um, yeah, it was just just wonderful to talk with you again. Yeah, and Andrew. Yeah. Yes, no, yes. Nice. It's good. Good to learn something about something more about each other as well. Yes. But it's funny, you know, when you play together, you do kind of you do develop a, an intense insight actually don't you into other people yeah. so you know we actually do know each other very well yeah it's 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 a sort of level where that is um it's very difficult to verbalize yes right There's, it's like sort of like the intuitive intuitive knowledge about each other and, yeah. Uh, yes yeah yeah you know really extraordinary and and I will never forget the Bolivia experience. That really was like you know, in all regards, it was <laughs> it was pretty special. <laughs> it was yes, I agree absolutely. Yeah, you know, it was the only ever sound check where I was sitting on a stool <laughs> to play. Oh, it was absolutely the whole. Um, the whole, you know, altitude sickness thing. I was really horrible. I just that that not being able to sleep was the thing that really uh, horrible for me. I just, you know, every time I started to 
slip off you know i'd be awake like that you know because i thought my because my body thought i was dying yes yeah. enough oxygen. i wish i'd known about the oxygen cylinder straight away i think that would <laughs> that's <laughs> that kind of sorted me out yeah but uh, yeah on every level it was fantastic yeah, yeah i agree that was one of the one of the best times of my life yeah it was really good <laughs> all right say hi to Jamie, please sorry yeah. Say hi to cheer me, please. Yeah, will do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bye bye for now. Bye. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.